0: This This is the Second Second Story Podcast. There exists this special bond between brothers, this ability to simultaneously love and loathe, and this constant game of one-upsmanship, proving to each other your worthiness of the title of man of the house. Today on the Second Story Podcast... Lot Hill explores that brotherly connection, examining what it means to have an older brother and the moments of teaching and acceptance that make brothers worth all the trouble that they cause. Lot Hill is a Chicago-based writer and educator and serves as the executive director of the Center for Innovation in Teaching Excellence at Columbia College Chicago. This story was performed at Webster's Wine Bar in December of 2013. The theme of the evening was Root Down, Stories of Kith and Kin. Live from Webster's Wine Bar, second story proudly presents, Mr. Lockkill. During the summer,
1: before my 13th birthday, someone or something started to kill our chickens. We didn't exactly live on a farm, but our new rental house was on a parcel of farmland in rural South Carolina, wedged between empty pastures and abandoned barns on one side and two identical houses on the other. On that particular morning, I went to the chicken coop where we'd raised a handful of chickens and expected to collect the eggs, but discovered... A bloody mess inside the coop. I can still remember the clucking of the other chickens, all four still in their nesting boxes, oblivious to the soppy red mound of feathers. And then just running and screaming and crying all the way back into the house Since our parents divorced, Mom was holding down two jobs and selling Avon, so on mornings like those, my big brother and I were the only ones home. What the hell is wrong with you? Always irritated whenever I cried, Lee was less than consoling. Lot, pull yourself together and tell me what the hell is wrong. I sputtered something like, the chickens hurt, the chickens hurt. But when I tried to follow him out the back door... Lee shooed me away and told me to stay inside. Just drop it, kid. And when I didn't drop it, he snapped and pushed me back towards the house. You can't handle it. You're still sniveling like a baby. He was nearly 18 and no longer had the time nor patience to goof around or console his younger brother. When he wasn't making deliveries for his part-time job, Lee was either working on his Plymouth station wagon in the backyard or behind the abandoned barn shooting rusty cans with the twenty-two caliber rifle he inherited with the Plymouth from our grandfather. After dad split, Lee saw himself as the de facto man of the house, and it seemed like he was always telling me I was still a baby and to leave him alone. Just drop it, kid. I couldn't drop it. I'd seen what I'd seen. But Lee insisted I stop being a baby and try to forget all about it. Usually, he took every opportunity to scare the wits out of me, like at Halloween, when he would tie a blindfold over my face and try to convince me that a bowl of peeled grapes was full of loose eyeballs, or that cooked spaghetti and jello were actually human brains. But this was something different, something that even he didn't understand. Now, there weren't many employment opportunities for high school students in that small town, but Lee had found a job carrying envelopes of x-rays between an orthopedic surgeon's office and the medical lab. Before long, he was delivering vials filled with cauterized bits of skin suspended in fluid because his instructions were to drive directly between the doctor's office and the lab without stopping, I never saw any of these curiosities, but Lee would gleefully describe the details. Today, when I looked in the bag, there was a vial the size of my thumb filled with clear fluid, and floating near the bottom of the vial was a thick black dot, like a tick, with no legs. Only it had just one long leg. And when I held it up to the light, it was a mole with a thick black hair. (laughs) I know, I know. I would squirm with disgust and delight, wide-eyed, and beg him to tell me every detail. At first, I couldn't believe these stories, but Lee didn't hold back when telling me about the mysterious items he discovered in the thick black canvas bag he carried between offices. The nurses had told him not to open it, but with only a wide brass zipper holding him back, his curiosity would override the nurses' orders, and Lee would peek inside. I can't say exactly why I was so fascinated by the idea of a severed mole, but to my mind, the things my brother delivered seemed abstract and almost comical, like those peeled grape eyeballs. They weren't anything like the dead chicken lying in its own gleaming blood, something that I had known as living and breathing and which suddenly wasn't. Those body parts my brother described... I didn't know from whom they had come or where they were going, but whatever happened to that chicken happened in our own backyard while we were sleeping. There are certain aspects of this story that I wouldn't learn or piece together until much later, like how the doctor would be charged with malpractice for performing amputations in unsanitary conditions, and how Lee's job would abruptly end later that summer when the doctor was hauled away in handcuffs. In retrospect, a 17-year-old making confidential medical deliveries might have been a clue that something was amiss. But we ended up in that crap-ass town after our parents split, and Lee was simply too thankful to have a decent-paying job to ask too many questions. And then another chicken was killed. And then one of the kittens that had recently been born in the old barn. And no matter how many times or ways I'd ask, Lee would just say he didn't know. Or maybe it was a stray dog or a fox. Just drop it, kid. But at 12, even I knew that animals didn't kill just to kill. And that a dog or a fox would have at least eaten part of the dead animal or would have hauled it away. Those animals were killed by something that was looking only for a kill. A finger, my brother teased. A pinky. nuh No way. what it look like? What do you mean? It looked like a finger, stupid, only without the hand. This was the most gruesome and impressive delivery he'd made thus far. A single human finger inside a liquid-filled vial, inside a Ziploc bag, tucked inside Lee's canvas delivery bag. I asked him repeatedly to describe it, and Lee happily complied. It was gray and slightly curled and had a blunt fingernail like a man's, and it looked like it had been severed with a sharp knife. The skin on the edges was smooth and you could barely make out the white of the bone in the center. Of course, that made my toes curl, and I loved it. I needed every detail of the severed finger, but could hardly believe it. The dead chickens and mangled kitten were still haunting my dreams, but somehow I thought a severed human finger would be the coolest thing I could ever see. I begged him to take me with him sometime, but he would just shrug and say something like, my work's not for kids. Each fresh kill was as gory as the first, and neither Lee nor I were able to interpret the evidence. Until the morning, I interrupted a murder, another mangled chicken still squawking and flapping its last breath. And a black and white cat fleeing the coop in a trail of bloody paw prints. Again, I ran screaming into the house, but this time with the answer to our mystery. Lee tried to calm me down enough to tell him what I had seen until it dawned on him. Rabies, he exclaimed and ran to his room to retrieve his 22. We knew this cat. Our neighbors had kept it indoors until it disappeared two months earlier. Their house was across the shared driveway, so we knew they wouldn't be home that time of the morning. I followed Lee out past the chicken coop and onto the driveway. He carried his rifle in both hands like he was headed into enemy fire. I followed a few steps behind, keeping watch over my shoulder I didn't really understand what rabies was, but I had seen the movie Cujo, and I wasn't taking any chances. We neared the edge of the neighbor's property, and we heard the hiss and guttural growl that I can only describe as the sound of a rabid cat. In the tree above us, we saw the bloody face and possessed eyes just a few branches higher than Lee's head. The cat hissed. We scrambled backward, getting far enough away from the tree that he couldn't reach us if he jumped. The hissing cat and my brother with his gun were poised in a standoff, and I started to whine. We got to call mom. Lee turned and his eyes locked onto mine. We are not calling mom or anybody else. We are going to take care of this here and now, like men. So you can't be a baby. you got to be a man. No one else will do it for us. I stepped a few feet further from the tree but stayed close to Lee. From above, the cat growled and hissed. Everything fell silent except for the crunch of the driveway as my brother took one step forward and lifted the barrel of his gun to level his sight. He inhaled. The explosion was like an echo uh, around the world, and the cat dropped from the tree. But he was still alive, and he was coming for us. His eyes were on Lee as he dragged the back half of his body through the dirt with a bubbling growl. I wanted to run, but I knew I couldn't desert or disappoint my brother. And it took two more shots at close range before the cat was still. Everything was still. My ears rang, and the cat was done for. And when my brother turned, his face looked somehow older. Let's get him buried before Mom gets home. We dug the hole way back beyond the edge of our property, behind the old barn. And after he'd shoveled the dirt back in, Lee told me how brave I'd been. And I've often wondered if he told me that as a way to convince me not to tell mom, but it was the first time he'd ever said such a thing, and I wanted to believe it. Before long, he headed out to work, and home alone, I distracted myself for the rest of the morning blowing apart asteroids on the Atari. A few hours later, I heard the honking of my brother's Plymouth in the driveway. Lee sat in the car with a mischievous grin on his face. Get in! Hurry! I couldn't remember him being so excited, ever. I scrambled through the passenger door. The canvas delivery bag sat on the seat between us. What is it? I asked. Just chill. His smile reached both ears. Want to see something totally fucking awesome? I nodded, caught in his excitement. Okay, but you got to promise you'll never tell anyone, especially mom. And then his face got really serious. Or about the cat, okay? Again, I nodded. Say you promise, Lee insisted. Okay, I promise. Whatever my brother was about to show me did not matter as much as his trust. Really, I swear. Good, he grinned big, and he dramatically peeled back the fat brass zipper of the bag. The smell of formaldehyde stung my nose and eyes, and I tried to peer inside. Just wait. He reached one hand deep inside the bag, and slowly, painfully slowly, he extracted in his clenched fist a large Ziploc bag containing one human foot. (laughs) It was awesome. It was slightly greenish-gray and speckled with dark pimples and wrinkled like skin that's been in the bath for too long. Lee watched my face. I was wide-eyed and speechless. There it was, undeniable proof of the stories he'd told me about his deliveries. A foot in a bag that looked like something my mom would put leftovers in. (laughs) Lee was still grinning. See, I told you. I was fascinated. Unlike the mutilated animals, I wasn't scared or grossed out. I leaned in and looked at it closer. Who does it belong to? I don't know who it belongs to. They don't tell me that. Besides, what does it matter? And to tell you the truth... It didn't matter. All that was important is that my brother and I had solved the mystery and put a stop to the animal murders. And he had told me that I was brave and had trusted me with a secret. And he was there in that moment breaking the rules of his job just so he could prove to me that he actually did deliver amputated body parts. (laughs) He no longer thought I was a baby. He knew I could handle it. Now get out of the car, man. I gotta go back to work.
0: Who taught you what it meant to be the man of the house? When did you recognize the excitement and horror that being an adult contains? What infallible secrets did you share with your siblings? This story was curated by Jessica Young with performance direction from Reshmi Hazra and a live sound design from Billy Eline. You can always reach me for comment on this or any other Second Story podcast at podcast at secondstory.com. Be sure to follow Second Story on Twitter at Second Story or on Instagram at Second Story Chicago to get behind the scenes of our curation process. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes so more listeners can find and hear this work. Second Story podcasts are brought to you in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the City Arts Program, the Chicago Community Foundation, part of the Chicago Community Trust, and the Arts Work Fund. Second Story podcasts are produced by Eric Hazen, with special thanks to Sherry Pentamone and C.P. Chang. We share our stories, so you'll share yours. Now go and knock them down with story power. I'm Ozzie Totten, and this is Second Story.